The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Good morning, Wellsprings, and I'm so excited to be offering my first message in our summer Spirit Flick series today because I know that by the time we get to the end of our Spirit Flick series, we will be back in person in Bell Hall this September. I hope that some of you are planning to join us on June 27th at 1 o'clock. Our band is going to have a reunion concert. They're going to play together live for the first time outside at the Montgomery School, and we'll probably have a couple more opportunities to gather in person before Welcome Back Sunday in September, so stay tuned. And that also means that it's time for my annual um, Spirit Flix confession, you might call it, which is that I am not actually a big movie person which is a little awkward for our summer tradition here at Wellsprings, when each year in this summer message series, Spirit Flicks, we take inspiration from the stories that we watch on our screens, from movies and television shows. And the thing is, I'm actually not just not a big movie person. I'm not even a big fiction person. Each summer, you are pretty much promised at least one Spirit Flicks message from me that's about a documentary, and you should know that I am restraining myself from doing more documentaries every single year. <laughs> but as luck would have it, in 2021, I must have failed to cancel my HBO subscription after a promotional deal or something, and so I was actually vaguely aware of a new prestige show, a new limited series that premiered on HBO in April called Mayor of Easttown. The afternoon, actually, that the premiere of Mayor of Easttown was set to air, Reverend Ken actually mentioned it to me. And I wasn't planning on watching it, but he reminded me this was the show that was set here in southeastern Pennsylvania, like two years ago, everybody was talking about seeing Kate Winslet at a Kmart parking lot in Coatesville. Maybe you remember that. That was this show. It was filmed here in and around the suburban counties outside of Philadelphia. And he told me, this was the crucial detail, apparently the costume designers did stakeouts in Wawa parking lots for wardrobe inspiration. Now I was in. <laughs> And I'm really glad that I was, because it turns out this show was very, very good. I am not the only one who felt that way. I can't promise that there won't be a Spirit Flicks uh, Part 2 message on Mayor of Easttown, maybe even a trilogy. Reverend Ken and I haven't quite settled whether or not we might both do a message on this show. And actually, one of our lay preachers, Rodney Wittenberg, has the claim as our only current preacher who actually grew up in Delaware County, in Delco, where most of the show is set. So, yeah, you might get a lot of Mayor of Easttown this summer. I'm not sure yet. But for today, I will tell you that I could fill our whole service with reasons that I loved this show. <coughs> I will not do that to you. I narrowed it down to five reasons. And I'm actually going to go through the first four pretty quickly. We'll spend most of today's message on the final reason that I love this show. Now, the first reason I was drawn to Mayor of Easttown, of course, was all of the Philly area touches. I live in South, in South Philadelphia. I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania in King of Prussia. I went to college in Delaware County. This show is set in a fictional Easttown, not actual Easttown. It's apparently, according to the show's creators, an amalgam of locations in the Philadelphia suburbs. 
But the characters do all of the things, right? They ate Wawa hoagies. When they grab a beer, it is usually a rolling rock, occasionally a yingling. Kate Winslet, who plays Mare, the title character, wears an Ocean City, New Jersey sweatshirt in one of the scenes. And the accents, the beautiful, comforting Delco accents, <laughs> made me feel right at home watching. And the second thing I loved about the show was that I thought the murder mystery aspect of it, which I'll talk a little bit more about, was incredibly well done. I spent hours reading and talking about all the different whodunit theories, but they still had me guessing until the final scenes. The third reason I love the show is that it was also a lot of fun. There was a lot of different stuff packed into the show, and some of it was hilarious. There were laugh-out-loud scenes with Jean Smart as Mayor's mother, and also a few sequences that were so uh, thrilling and suspenseful, they had me screaming at the TV out loud alone in my apartment. And the fourth reason I love the show, if you've seen it, you know that Kate Winslet's performance was pretty remarkable. And also that she did something that is unfortunately still somewhat revolutionary in the entertainment industry. As one headline I saw put it, she was a 45-year-old woman who actually looked like a 45-year-old woman on screen. This show was a treat for all those reasons and more. But our Spirit Flicks message series isn't just about appreciating great TV or films. It's about stories that reflect something true about our lives and help us understand ourselves as part of a greater whole. And so what I really want to invite us all to dig into today is the last and most important reason that I loved Mayor of Easttown. It's because the show told us a story about how a person can completely fall apart and emerge from it for the better. You know, we're often scared to do that first part. We never even get to the other side, right? We are afraid to let ourselves fall to pieces. But Mayor of Easttown showed us the bad and the ugly, yes, of that, and also the good. The good that can come from allowing a life in pieces to be what it is, to be in pieces. And reminding us that maybe that's the only way out of that sort of collapse, accepting where we are so that we can sort through the mess and put those pieces back together. Now, Mayor of Easttown pulled no punches in that respect. By the end of the first episode, we learn that Mayor's life is totally in shambles. She knows it. We know it. Her life is a freaking mess, right? If you've seen the show, you know that part of that mess has to do with mental illness, Part of it has to do with violent death and suicide, all of which are part of the plot. And you should know that I will mention all three of those things during my message today, though not in any detail. But just so you know, if today isn't the right day for you to hear about these subjects at all, feel free to take a break from our service and rejoin us for our last song. In the space of just two years before the action of the show begins, Mayor loses her only son to suicide. For years before that, we find out she had watched his mental health deteriorate, his growing dependence on drugs, his addiction, all of which gutted their relationship. 
in those last years before his death. Mary's marriage also collapsed during that time and in her work as a detective for the local East Town Police Department, we learn that Mayor is also failing. Pretty spectacularly, she feels, on a public stage. She can't solve a year-old case. The disappearance of Katie Bailey, a young woman from the town, the daughter of one of Mayor's childhood friends. And as this first episode starts off, we find out that now there is a new murder that Mayor also doesn't know how to solve. One that hits her even closer to home. For seven episodes over the course of this limited series, we watch her continue to unravel as everything else around her unravels too. It sounds bleak, at times it is. But it is also so full and whole a story. It's complete and it's grace-filled and somehow very, very real. I think we all learn at some point that unraveling is sometimes a part of life. Over the years, I've grown to have a strange respect for the role that it plays. When I was a student in ministry, about a decade ago now, actually, when I was still in school, I did my chaplaincy rotation, something that every minister in training is required to do at a hospital. I did mine in the emergency room at HUP, the hospital at UPenn in West Philadelphia. At HUP, they paged the chaplain on duty for every single person who was brought into the level one trauma ward. And on a typical weekend, that might mean eight or nine trauma calls every day. By and large, they were victims of violence. Sometimes they were perpetrators of violence too. Or they were in car accidents or workplace injuries. A slow parade of people all having the worst day of their lives. I would go home tired, but there was also something very clarifying about that summer for me. I was completely exhausted and yet somehow probably more awake than I've ever been at any other time in my life because that work put everything into perspective. The fragility of our lives was real to me. It wasn't just an idea. And the clarifying and enlivening thing actually about doing that work for me was that I have never spent more time consecutively where the little annoying things in life just didn't seem important anymore. I felt that clarity of focus on what really mattered. Now, I wasn't quite wired to do that kind of work all the time. Some people are, and I'm very grateful for them. But I did learn to appreciate the gifts of these times of complete unraveling. And the way that total devastation in our lives can actually has a way, if we allow it, 
and if we're supported through it, to bring out the best in us. Now I should be clear, I don't mean when I say the best in us, I, I don't mean looking our best. I don't mean doing our best. Most of us are not our most productive or our sharpest or our strongest in difficult times. Quite the opposite. We are often <laughs> confused and our minds are foggy and we are weak. We need help. That's normal. But that's exactly what I'm pointing at. It's almost as if these times of devastation and unraveling in our lives ask us to unravel even the foundations of how we judge our lives, how we judge ourselves and each other. They invite us to think, you know what, maybe appearances and productivity and good work aren't even what best means. Maybe that's not even what it means to be at our true best as human beings. Because when things fall apart, what often happens is that our priorities shift. We find the way, all of a sudden, to do what we thought was impossible. To let what is really unimportant fall away and be forgotten. And remember that our best is not about how we perform. And it is certainly not about how we look from the outside doing it. The best of us is in how we love. Right? It's always been about how we love. That's what life is for. We actually saw a lesson, I think, in this over the past week in the news, believe it or not, from the world of sports. Some of you might have seen these headlines that tennis star Naomi Osaka currently the second-ranked female tennis player in the world. She made a choice this past week to prioritize her mental health and her well-being over her job. Naomi Osaka announced that she would not be doing press conferences after the French Open tournament games. This is part of an athlete's contract typically the penalty for not participating in press conferences after the french open games was a fifteen thousand dollar fine for each game which naomi osaka knew about and accepted but the french open organizers chose to double down and they told her that actually rather than simply continuing to find her they would remove her from the tournament if she continued to skip out on press events and so she withdrew from the whole tournament if you've been following this news then like me you've probably seen a mix of responses there is praise coming from all sorts of people public figures politicians other athletes all applauding Naomi Osaka for recognizing that she knows herself best and for prioritizing her mental health over her performance rather than trying to push through and suffer in silence. But unfortunately, there were other voices too that were also loud that criticized her. They called her a diva, a narcissist, an arrogant, spoiled brat, these are quotes, an uppity princess, 
They said that she wanted special treatment. They criticized her for not being up for the job. They called her weak. Now, everyone has a right to feel however they want to feel about Naomi Osaka or anyone's choices, right? But I read the criticism that was lobbed her way this week. And I said, my God, we wonder why people don't speak up when they need help. This is why. How is it that we are going to try to say as a society out of one side of our mouth that we want people to ask for help? That we want people to speak up when they need support? And then not just refuse to offer the help, but to criticize their character when they do. Is this not exactly what people fear will happen when they need help? And they are too scared to say so. We wonder why people don't speak up. What is really most important, right? What does it mean to be our best? I had an experience this week that is too much on my heart not to talk about. It's an experience that I wish I never would have had in a million years. A few of you know that I led the memorial service for a young man from Downingtown West High School. A young man who I know was connected to at least one family in our congregation. A young man, a junior in high school, who died by suicide just two weeks ago in our community. Sitting with his family was an experience that will be with me forever. Hearing the details of their story that most people who know about this loss will never hear, while simultaneously opening up my phone and watching conversations unfold online about this death in the wider community has been strange. And without sharing anything private, I can tell you all all of you who were not able to be there for this memorial, I can tell you what this young man's mother shared publicly when she spoke at his service. She shared how this was not a family that was unfamiliar with the realities of mental illness. She shared that this was not a family caught up in stigma or shame or one that shied away from the tough conversations. She shared the support he was receiving. But what he needed was simply bigger than what the family alone could provide. What he needed was a whole world with its priorities in order A world that understood and accepted what it really means to be at our best. At 
the service on Wednesday morning, this young man's mother asked 800 people in attendance at her son's funeral. She asked, I quote, what are we trying to accomplish as we raise our children? What is our system creating? Are we willing to tolerate our most beautiful souls to be snuffed out or shut down? She closed by saying, I don't want to be surrounded by the toughest, the savviest, the grittiest. I want to be surrounded by hearts like my son's whose priority in life was loving us and making sure we all love each other. I want that too. I think a lot of us do. And I think sometimes we struggle, we don't know how, but I know that we can create that kind of a world because we're human beings and nobody but human beings beings created this world that we live in now. We can change things. We know that. But it takes so much help. It takes so many of us reminding each other what it really means to be at our best what we're really here for. You know, a year ago this week, our country was a mess, right? Do you remember early June 2020? We had been locked down and scared for a couple months. For most of us, our regular routines at this point had just evaporated, right? And with that newfound space, the emptiness, the clearing of our lives unraveled with little less to lo- little left to lose. Some things happened. And we actually paid attention when something awful took place. When one of our fellow human beings was unjustly killed in Minneapolis. Do you remember a year ago? We and when I say we, I mean especially white people like me actually stopped and learned and listened. People who had never said Black Lives Matter before started to understand. And collectively, people took to the streets. June 6th, one year ago today, was actually the peak of the demonstrations. It was the day that an estimated half million people participated in 550 recorded protests across the country in a single day, June 6, one year ago. Scholars now are estimating that there were more than 10,000 Black Lives Matter protests last summer. 10,000 protests in three months, with about 20 million Americans participating, which would make it the single largest demonstration movement in U.S. history. And it was a start. It was a start. That's how much hope it takes. 
There's more work to do to root out racism and white supremacy in our systems. But that start was meaningful. Our country took a big step last summer, and I know many of us in our Wellsprings community took big steps too, in our own learning or unlearning, in our growth and in our compassion. Because when things fall apart, when the space is cleared, we have that opportunity to re-examine our priorities. And the empty ground can be exactly where compassion is watered as a seed and takes root. When the unimportant things are cleared away. Those spaces where things have fallen apart become the fresh ground with room for us to grow. I have to give Reverend Ken credit for this observation about Mayor of Easttown also, because I actually have not seen this said anywhere else. We learn from Mayor's mother that Mayor is a nickname. It's short for Marianne. Marianne Sheehan. And despite her very Irish Catholic family, Mayor is not exactly on good speaking terms with God. You can't really blame her. Yet the title of the show follows the naming conventions of the Catholic saints. Right? Teresa of Avila, Francis of Assisi, Julian of Norwich, Mayor of Easttown. We often spend so much time running from hard times and from suffering. So much effort is expended just trying to deny it, to pretend it can't happen here, it can't happen to our family, it isn't so big a deal, that it can never touch us. We spend so much time and energy expended running from suffering that we forget entirely about our role, our gift, in healing it. Just like Ben said earlier in our service, right? We can't change the past, but we can change tomorrow. Without spoiling anything in terms of plot, I can't do that to you. I can tell you that by the end of seven episodes, Mayor finds her way to that place. She forgives herself for what is done, for what she couldn't fix, which gives her the freedom and the energy to be present for what's happening now, to be present for tomorrow. She can let go of what she couldn't fix. And that gives her the space to stand by the people she loves, her daughter, her best friend, herself. There's a scene towards the very end of the series where Mare, on a regular old suburban linoleum kitchen floor, takes on the figure of another famous Mary a pieta from the Latin word, a word used to describe any piece of art or sculpture of the Virgin Mary cradling Jesus on her lap, the weak 
body close to the ground held in lamentation and compassion. A sign of holy acceptance that sometimes things fall apart. And when they do, love can step in. With open space for humility and healing and support, things can actually get better. It just takes help. It takes showing up for each other, truly listening in our moments of suffering, and remembering that what is best in this life, what matters most, is our love. Perhaps that's what makes the saints the saints. They trust that. Amen, Wellsprings. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to join me now. Perhaps let your eyes fall closed. Let your shoulders drop. And join me in the spirit of prayer. God of change. God who holds us even in times when we cannot hold ourselves up. When things are falling apart all around us and we are reaching and grasping for support. In those moments, may we find what we seek. May we be offered the gift of grace of someone else in this life who can be there with us. Someone else who cannot fix it. If they can, bonus, right? (laughs) But someone else who is simply willing to be with us. To hear our story to care and love us because together we will find that that is the first step of emerging on the other side of destruction. No one wants to emerge alone to a lonely place. We want to come out of these dark places and share the joy that we find with one another. So may we remember, God of our hearts, that this is the purpose of all of it. Not to reach a mountaintop by ourselves, but to grow ourselves up out of the dirt, in a forest, in a field, surrounded by life all around us. May we hold that image as we move into the days and the weeks ahead of ourselves accompanied by so much life rising out of the dirt. 
for the prayers that I have spoken out loud and the prayers that everyone with us this morning is carrying silently on their hearts. We say amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.